0: So Galatians chapter 3, those of you who have been meeting with us regularly will realise that um, the last few times I've preached, I've preached through Matthew's Gospel and and looked at the Beatitudes, um, and uh, we will pick that up again um, probably next week, but just for, as we're all together, uh, just feel to preach on something uh, different to that today. So we're going to look at this passage, Galatians 3 verse 23 onwards. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, male, nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Look, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive the full rights of sons. The ESV, uh, for that phrase, says we might uh, be adopted as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Um, We're picking things up in the middle of a a kind of whole argument... ...and it can be quite difficult to understand what's going on here. So just to fill you in... um, ...Paul here is dealing with the issue of whether Gentile Christians... ...or non-Jewish Christians... ...Christians who've who've got saved, who are outside of the Jewish religion before... um, ...whether they should uh, be made to keep the Jewish law or not. Um, This was a huge issue for the church in Galatia and in other regions as well. And, And there were some Jewish Christians who said... Uh, well, yeah, they should. They should come in, uh, but they need to keep the Jewish law. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Dan. Um, he, uh, Paul strongly disagrees. He argues that the law was, was given, and it was like a guardian. It was like someone who looked after a child, um, who was an heir, but just young. They couldn't receive all the inheritance. They couldn't get everything that they were, that they were going to get when they were older. Um, but the law was there to kind of look after them. Um, so, while they were a child, they have to do what the law tells them to do. They have to do what uh, the guardian tells them to do. It, it, Paul describes it as being like a slave. But now, Paul says, uh, Jesus came to free people from that slavery. We heard a, a word this morning saying about it's time, to, it's time to be mature, it's time to grow up. In, in one sense, that's what Paul was saying. Now has come a time when we can grow up, when we're older now, um, and uh, we're now justified... Or made right with God by faith in Christ Jesus, not by keeping the law. We're into a different sort of relationship, and this is this is great news. This is news that that we can all come into this relationship with God. We've been made right. We've had our, we can have our sins forgiven. But the great news doesn't end there. Galatians chapter three, uh, twenty-six, and uh, that we read, and, and four verse five tells us. That we now come into being sons of God and receive adoption as sons. As I said, the ESV says in four verse five, we become part of God's family. How amazing is that? Not only do we get our sins forgiven, but we're welcomed into God's family. Not, Not like Esther having to just wait and be invited in. God said, "You're part of it. You're part of God's family." 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. We're God's children now. We can come into relationship with him as his children. We can say, Abba, Father, And this wasn't just an an idea of of relationship, just being able to relate to God. It was a legal thing as well, which is kind of what Paul was setting out here. Um, The the child who was adopted um, was taken out of his previous state of of slavery and and under the law um, and all that came with that and placed in a new relationship as a son to his father. And all the old debts were cancelled and the child starts a new life. As part of a new family. Just as a, 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 as a matter of interest. Some people read this. And uh, when it talks in this passage about being sons. We're no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son. God has made you also an heir. Some, some people can get a little bit. Sort of hit up about this. Well why is it talking about sons? And so you can, you can get. Um, translations of the Bible. The NIV has got a translation of the Bible. I think, I think the NIV translates that, that passage. The um, what's the version called? What? Today's NIV, to, to, today's NIV calls, it, um, calls it children of God, I think it, it talks about. Um, sometimes you get people saying, oh, sons and daughters of God. And, um, and people do that because they're kind of thinking, well, you know, that, that's because we want to make sure it includes everyone. It's not just the men, it's the women as well. But actually here, to translate it children of God totally misses the point. It absolutely misses the point of what God's saying, because Paul is saying this is all about inheritance. This is all about what we're going to come into. And in the, in the Roman culture, which Paul was writing into, um, people, when they, want, when they had an inheritance that they wanted to pass on, and they hadn't got any sons to pass it on to, they would adopt a son. They would adopt a son who they could pass on their inheritance to. God already had a son, obviously, Jesus, um, which makes it all the more amazing that he adopts us into his family. But when Paul speaks of adoption as sons, he's talking about us all receiving the full inheritance. Everyone receiving the full inheritance. When Jesus returns, we will reign on earth. Not just the men, but everyone. He's already said, hasn't he, in chapter 3 and verse 28... You know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor female, male nor female. There's, the distinctions between males and females have been gone. They've been abolished. Therefore, if, if Paul had have said, oh, he makes us you no longer a slave, but sons and daughters, the readers would have read that and thought, oh, great, we're sons and daughters. We're in relationship with God, and the men will inherit the promise. The men will inherit all that the father has, and the women won't. So Paul's saying, no, you're all sons. You're all going to inherit. There's no longer male, nor female. It's everyone. God's included everyone. So when, when you get people who, who uh, in, all, in all good intentions, try and say, oh, it's children, it's sons and daughters, to try and make it sound equal, actually, they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're losing the point. They're they're arguing, in one sense, if if that had been written, if that was what Paul had said, they would have been arguing, the women don't get the inheritance. Paul's saying, no, they do. Everyone is in on this. That's just by means of a by the way. Um, What what does it it mean? Because people get heads up about these things, don't they? What does it mean to be adopted into God's family? What does it mean that we are brought into God's family? Well, first, we now know that we belong somewhere. Whatever our background has been, we know that we've been brought into God's family, we've been delivered from the slavery and bondage to the basic principles of this world, as Paul says in, in, chapter, in verse 3 of, of chapter 4. We've been delivered from the life that we once knew, the bondage that we had. We, Paul describes in Romans as, as being slaves to sin. We're bound up to sin. Sin is, sl- is our slave master. We, we, we're, uh, we're stuck. We can't do anything about it. And, and Paul's saying now we're no longer in bondage to the slavery of this world, the basic principles. We're free. But Paul was facing a battle for this with the Galatians, as I've said, because there were those who thought, well, you know, there were other things that show you belong to God's family. There were other markers in some sort of, in one, somewhere or other, that showed that we belong to God's family. And the main marker, the main thing that marked people out as being members of God's family, Abraham's seed, was that they were circumcised. And this is a huge issue for um, the Galatian, the Jewish Galatians, the Jewish Christians. Um, so the, the parents here will be thrilled that I'm now going to talk about circumcision, and they have to have all these questions. Mommy, what's circumcision? Um, and it seems I've spoken on this quite a few times, so uh, you should be getting used to it by now. Um, this, this wasn't just some sort of minor thing that Paul was dealing with. Paul wasn't, uh, you know, in one sense, you could say, well, what does it matter whether someone's circumcised or not? Um, Paul wasn't dealing with a minor thing here because it was at the center of the whole gospel for him. He's trying to get over that what we once were, what we've come out of, it's not important now. We've been saved, we've been added to God's family, we've been adopted by God through no effort or attainment of our own. It's nothing to do with what we have done. It's entirely through grace. Paul keeps reminding people about it. This is what you once were. He does it time and time again in the New Testament, in the book of Romans. This is what you formerly were. I think he talks about it in chapter 1. He talks about it here even in chapter chapter 4. verse 8, Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to those who are by nature, not God's. You think, well, why is Paul banging on about what they once were? He's banging on about what they once were because he's saying, look, you've not made yourself any better. It's not because you've done something amazing that God has thought, well, you're good, I'm going to bring you into my family. You know, you're the one I want to adopt into my family. So, because I've, I've seen something impressive in you. Paul's saying, I saw nothing impressive. God saw nothing impressive in you. You were slaves. You were in bondage. You couldn't do right. But now you've been brought into this. Now you've been brought into this relationship. And so don't go starting to value outward signs. He's saying to the Gentile Christians, if you get circumcised, if you allow yourself to get circumcised, all you're doing is trying to do it by your own effort." He says if you get circumcised, then you've got to keep the Jewish law. If you have to keep the Jewish law, then what Christ has done for you is is totally meaningless. I think he says that in in chapter chapter 5, verse 2. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's required to keep the whole law. He's pointing out, look, you, you can't do it. You can't go and and just think, oh, I'm a believer, but I'll get circumcised anyway. Because you're basically saying, it's about what I do. And it's not about what God does. But in Galatia, the Jewish Christians refused to accept this. They refused to accept that the Gentiles had been adopted into God's family. With as much right of access to God and as much right to inheritance as as they have always had. They were pretty hacked off with it, really. They were pretty hacked off because they thought, we are the people of God. We are keeping these laws. We're doing what's right. And, and suddenly, this other one comes in. You know, it's the same attitude, isn't it, that you see in the story of the, um, of the lost son, the prodigal son, where the, where the older brother says, but I've always been here with you, and I've always done what you told me to do. And suddenly this younger son comes in, who's even had the inheritance, and squandered it. He, you know, he's, he's had it once. And suddenly he comes back, and you're throwing a party for him. You've never thrown a party for me. What's all that about? He's seeing it in terms of what he has done. But he needs to see it in terms of what the father is like. The father's character. And the father welcomes us into his family, and he says, it's not about what you are doing. It's about who I am. It's about who I am. So that's the issue that uh, Paul was facing uh, with these Galatian Jews. And we can face similar issues today. And uh, I might want to draw out some parallels because you might think, well, hang on, Uh, you know, probably not many of us, if any of us, were Jewish believers before we were saved. Before we became Christians, not many of us would have been Jewish believers. So you could say, it's not really an issue for us today, is it? You know, we're, we're kind of all in the Gentile camp. What's the dif- what's the point? Well, there is a point because we can we can start to think it's about how we live our lives. We can think we have to do certain things to please God, to be acceptable by God. And we can also see it in other ways as well, in how in in how valued, in whether how valued we believe we are to God, and whether we really believe that God. Accept, treats people who were adopted into his family as equal to his own sons. We have adopted, me and, me and Debbie, have adopted uh, our two children. And sometimes people who get to find out that we've adopted our two children ask us this question. They say, oh, right, um, are they brother and sister? Are they brother and sister? To which the answer is, yes, we are their parents. They are brother and sister. And, uh, and then... People kind of go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But you know what I mean? Are they are they really brother and sister? To which the answer, after you've smacked them in the face, is yes, we are their parents. <laughs> they are really brother and sister. What what lies behind the question, of course, is is they're saying, is there, uh, you know, were they brother and sister before you adopted them? Was their birth? line, their bloodline, was, did that mean that they were brothers and sisters? But underlying it is a, a, is a kind of assumption that that is more important, that that is, the, that is a, an important question to ask, because often if you say, because because their bloodline was that they were brother and sister, and so often if you, people press you on that and you say yes, they go, oh, right, oh, well, that's nice for them anyway, isn't it? <laughs> you think, uh, <laughs> <I> suppose so, <laughs> but... But it's like, well, which is most important? Which is most important? That they are brother and sister, that they've been adopted into a family, into a loving family, brought out of all that they were in before, or that their bloodline meant that they were brother and sister? And it's an underlying thing that goes through that being adopted is secondary, somehow, to having a common ancestry or bloodline, um, You get the same thing coming when people say to you, you say, oh, yes, we've got two children, yes, and and we adopted them. Oh, right, okay. And do you have any of your own children? Yes. (laughs) They are our own children. (laughs) The questions that people are getting at, oh, and, you know, what about for your, you know, this isn't as important. Of course it is. Of course it is just as much as any other. And that was the same question ...that Paul was facing in the churches. Because because there were these believers now... ...who hadn't been part of the Jewish nation. They'd been adopted in. Ironically, actually, the Jewish nation had also been adopted in. And and God says that in other parts of of the Bible. Um, But... uh, ...which I haven't really got time to go into. But as far as the Jews were concerned... ...these were kind of second-class citizens... They didn't have as much status as they did. They weren't part of the bloodline. They weren't part of the seed of Abraham. That's what they were saying. They're not part of the line of Abraham. And that's the most important thing. And Paul's going, no, it's not. If you have faith in Christ, that makes you part of the bloodline of Abraham. You are the seed of Abraham if you have faith in Christ. Whether you've been adopted in later or sooner, you are all children of God. You are all sons of God. You are all adopted into the family. But these Jewish believers were keen to say, you know, if, they're gonna, if they have to be part of us, if they have to be believers, if they have to come into a relationship with God, then they need to do these other things which show that they are believers, that they are children of God, that they have to get circumcised. They didn't believe that adoption into the family was enough. They didn't believe it was as good as natural birth. And Paul is furious about it. And he says, no, it's through faith in Christ. I guess the early Gentile believers, these these other people who who would have read this uh, book and heard this book read to them as well, because the church was made up of Gentile and Jewish believers, um, they were facing similar difficulties themselves. Because they will have seen um, these uh, Jewish Christians... Um, and and they'll, they'll have thought, we feel a bit inferior. We don't, we're not feeling fully accepted by them. And, uh, you know, they were, they were pork-eating former goddess worshippers who are coming in to worship Jesus as the Messiah. And the Jewish believers are kind of going, okay, that's very nice. But the real issue is, are you circumcised? You know, you, you, yeah, but are you circumcised? And they'd say, they might reply, as in Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12, they might say, yes, but not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Yes, we are circumcised. And the Jewish, you can imagine the Jewish believers going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Are you really circumcised? It's the same thing. They miss the point. Are you really circumcised? That is what they saw as being most important. And the Gentile believers would have struggled with it. They'd have sat listening to the law being read and to the, uh, the Torah, the Jewish scriptures, and more often than not, they're the villain of the story. You know, they're the ones who were, uh, who were allied with Goliath or Nebuchadnezzar or other people like that. And, uh, and then there'd be passages read out like Genesis seventeen fourteen, Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people, my people. Uh, he has broken my covenant. Covenant. And they'll be sitting there kind of squirming in their seats and thinking, oh, I hope no one checks. Because um, <laughs> you wouldn't be squirming in your seat. <laughs> but Paul, Paul is saying No. You've all been brought in to this relationship with God. Don't be tempted to just give in. Don't be tempted to get yourself circumcised just so you feel part of it. Don't go down that line. Don't go down that line so that you feel others will accept you. It's their problem. But you start going down that line and then you're taking on the Jewish law. And then you're saying what Christ has done is worthless to you. Why do you want to go back to that? You were in slavery before, why go back? You could have had sonship. You've got sonship, why, why do you want slavery? Paul is wondering, have I wasted my time with you? Isn't he? he, say, he, he I think he, say, he says that um, in verse 11 of chapter 4. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. You're not getting it. If you're tempted to do this, you're not getting it. And he, he was frustrated with the Gentile believers for doing that. He was probably more frustrated with the Jewish believers um, who, were, who were sort of pressing this line and saying, you have to be circumcised, or some of the, some of the Jewish believers. And uh, he shows his frustration in chapter 5 and verse 12 when he's referring to them. He says, oh, as for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Um, so he's, he's kind of saying, you know, if you're, if you're on about a little mark down there, he says, just go, you know, I'm going to say it, it's getting old. <laughs> yeah, you get the message. <laughs> he's frustrated. The guy's frustrated. Russell Moore points out that we can't cling on to anything else apart from who we are in Christ. He says, yes, we're part of the family, but we don't point to our own circumcised flesh to prove that. We point away from ourselves to to a circumcised, law-keeping, faithful, resurrected Messiah. And he says, and the Jewish leaders who insist on circumcision for Gentile believers are looking under the wrong robe. He says, we're not not looking to ourselves. We're looking to Jesus. We might think, oh, we've got to do these certain things to be accepted by God. We've got to live a certain way. And God's saying, no, no. You're acceptable to me on the basis of what my son did, on his obedience. That's not saying God doesn't want, God's not interested in how we live our life, but he's certainly saying, You're not going to earn your relationship with me. There's nothing you can do that earns your right to have a relationship with me. That right has been earned by my son, Jesus. And it's his obedience, and it's his law keeping, and it's his circumcision, and it's all of that that means that I'm accepting you. Don't try and do it yourself. Don't try and do it yourself. Now, as I've said, most of us weren't Jewish believers first, so we might think, well, what's the deal? But we can still have prejudices about certain people. And we can still have uh, still believe that people ought to do things in a certain way. So, for example, we might uh, have expectations. Once someone becomes a Christian, once someone gives their life to God, we might say, well, now they should be doing this, this, and this. They should stop doing that. They shouldn't live their life that way. You know? and, and it can be outward signs. So let, you know, let's take a very simple, uh, similar example to the circumcision in piercings. You might get some people, uh, someone might come into the church with piercings everywhere. That's just what they've chosen to do. That's just their lifestyle before. And, uh, and they, they become a Christian. And you might get some people thinking, well, they really shouldn't continue with that now. They really should get rid of them all. You know, it's an outward thing. It's the same kind of thing. It's, it's trying to do something to show that you fit instead of, no, I, I'm part of this just because of who, who God has made me and what God has done. Paul, when he writes to the Galatians, he calls them brothers. He calls them brothers. In, in Galatians chapter 1, we see this in verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. Brothers. We don't often use this phrase, do we, when we're talking about each other. We rarely talk about each other as brother and sister. and uh, Or if we do, it can be a bit, in, in a kind of funny way. So it, it might be... Um, if you've forgotten someone's name, you, you can say, oh, how are you doing, brother? You've just forgotten what they're called. <laughs> call them brother. <laughs> it can kind of come across as a bit super spiritual, but that's the, that's the reason why. Or, or if you, um, you know, you can hear this, uh, maybe some of, some of you who are a bit younger and you, um, you start to, to really like someone. Maybe you've got a guy and he, he starts to like someone else in church and he thinks, oh, and he, he, get, he finally plucks up the courage to, uh, to ask them out. And, uh, and then she says something to him like... Oh, she said, oh, I, I do love you, but as a brother. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I get the message. <laughs> so, but this word brothers that Paul is using... ...is such an important word in who we are as, as, as believers... As, ...as God's church, as God's family. Being brothers and sisters in Christ is so important. It's a major thing. And we can think... Actually, it's not as important as blood ties. It's the same old thing again. You know, are they really brothers and sisters? You can kind of have in your mind, oh, yeah, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're not really brothers and sisters. We can feel that, actually, blood family, meaning the family that are given birth to us and grandparents and the sort of heritage there, that that is, is more important. And that can... We wouldn't even say it. That's just in the back of our minds. But, it, but it, has, it, it kind of plays itself out. And the early Gentile believers would have been well aware of this, this issue, that, that actually they they've probably had to leave their, their families to, be, to, to join a new family, to be followers of Christ. Many people would have been rejected by their families. You know, if they start following Jesus, their families would have said, oh, I don't want anything to do with you. And that's why Jesus says, you know, you've got to hate your your mother and father, brother and sister, in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, he doesn't mean literally hate them, um, but he means, look, you've got to make a choice. And sometimes they might say to you, are you going to walk away from our family? You know, I guess the the, the only group, the the groups here that might face that today are, are maybe those who have been brought up in a different religion, maybe a Muslim family or something like that. And if a Muslim belie- becomes a believer and then uh, you know, has to face their family who say, you are walking out on our family. We will cut you dead. You will be out of this family if you, f- if you follow Christ. That's a real issue for them. They've got to choose one or the other. And they choose to follow Christ. They're saying, this is the more important one. This is the family that God has brought me into. And much as it pains me, I'm going I'm to put them first. You see, we don't have that issue so much. We rarely have family who will say, most of us, who say, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to join that church, then I don't want anything else to do with you anymore. And so we kind of think we can hold the two together. But what af- often happens is where there is tension or a clash, the biological family can win out. And they can just take the precedence. Because in our minds, we can be thinking, that's the more important one. Um, So, uh, let me give you an example. A few examples. If you're invited to a family wedding, this is birth family we're thinking now. On the whole, most people would think, okay, I better go to that family wedding. If you're invited via bite or whatever, or here on a Sunday morning, to a wedding of someone in the church family... You might think, actually, I don't know them that well. I don't think I'll bother. But we're making a choice because we're seeing, actually, they're not, they're not really that important. Or um, maybe family birthdays take priority in our lives uh, over and above a church celebration. Or maybe at Christmas. That's an interesting one, isn't it? At Christmas. Because that's where these people say, oh, yeah, Christ- Christmas. That's where you celebrate with your family, Yeah. What if your family are unbelievers? And Christmas is a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But what if you then decide, okay, I'm going to celebrate with my birth family who are unbelievers and not celebrate it with my family in God who are believers? Why is that decision made? If that decision's made, it's probably because somewhere in the back of your mind you're seeing subconsciously that birth family is more important. Our allegiance and commitment to each other, as brothers and sisters in this church, does it supersede, does it come above every other commitment, every other allegiance, whether it's family, or which congregation we're in even, we, can, we might think, oh, I'm part of the north congregation, so I'm not really, I don't really fit here. That's why we're all one together, that's why we're meeting together today, because we're one family. Or even to nationality, does that come first? First. You know, a big day today in terms of England playing in the World Cup. I'm wearing an England top. But does my allegiance to my team, to my nationality, come above my allegiance to the church, which is made up of all sorts of different nationalities? Which is more important? Of course, the church. The church takes precedence because we are the family of God. And it's, it's a subtle thing. When we're making a will... If you've got kids and you're making a will, you have to then decide, well, if in case of, of our death, in case there's some sort of car accident or something and, and, and both parents get killed, you have to name someone who will look after your children um, in, that, in that circumstance. So when we're doing that, do we decide to leave the upbringing of our kids to our maybe unbelieving birth family? This might be what they expect, or do we decide to leave it to someone in the church, a couple in the church? What's our thinking on this? Even if you've not had to make those decisions, you can kind of play them out. Well, what would I think? Because they all speak of which is the most important. Do we value who God has made us as a family more than we do our lineage? Jesus, in John chapter 19, gives a an example of of pretty much this exact thing. Um, In John chapter 19 and verse 25, this is just as Jesus is going to the cross, and it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that's John who's writing the gospel, that's who he means, and John standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So Jesus is about to die. And he sees his mother there. Joseph's died by now. So his mother is on on her own. There are other children, though, in that family. There's James and other brothers that Jesus has. At the moment, at that point, though, they aren't believers. They don't believe who Jesus is. They're skeptical. And so Jesus doesn't say as he's dying on the cross, oh, get James to look after you. Make sure you're looked after by the other brothers. He says, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, the one Jesus loved, maybe more than the others, certainly uh, certainly the one that John felt, there's such love here from God, from Jesus to me. And Jesus says, John, here's your mother now. She wasn't his birth mother, but she's your mother. Mary, mother, this is your son. And John says, Come and live with me. Live in my house. I will care for you. Jesus is is making a direct call there between the two. He's saying, It's my believing family, my church who are more important. That's who I'm going to entrust them to. That's a challenge to us. That's a challenge to us in our life. I believe we can settle all too easily into just trying to kind of compromise with subtly maybe just thinking, church family, yeah, brothers and sisters, yeah, but we come along, it's not really that big a deal. It's a big deal. For Paul in Galatians, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. We've been adopted into this family, and it takes priority. It doesn't follow the pattern of the world. So finally, what about if we're feeling on the edge of the church family? What about if you're here today, and you're feeling, I don't really feel as though I fit. Because I hear so many people in different circumstances say that. You know, I really don't feel I'm part of this. And it saddens me so much, because that's not what God wants. How do we know we belong? I think I've said before when I've, I've referred to adopted children in, in other messages that I've brought, that adopted kids often struggle to know that they are truly loved and part of a family. They've been so used to being self-sufficient, to sorting out themselves, to looking after themselves, that they battle with finally being accepted by a loving mother and father and that they are going to be cared for. And we can feel like that too in the church. We can feel, are we loved? Do we fit? Are we part of it? Everyone seems so different to us. We can, str- we can struggle with the fact that God really will care for us. He is a loving father. He's a loving father who will give us everything we need. So instead of trusting him, we try and sort things out ourselves. We try and look after ourselves, even as believers. Children, Adopted children find it hard to trust their new parents for what they believe in life. Sometimes they can steal food. They can hoard food. They just try to look after themselves, but we can do the same thing. We need to learn to trust that we have a loving, heavenly Father who will give us all that we need. Matthew 7, um, verse 9 says, um, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to everyone who asks him? So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, look, your heavenly father is going to give you good gifts. He loves you. We remind our our kids each night that we love them, that they are loved no matter what they do. We say, we love you when you're good. We love you when you're naughty. We love you all the time. We will always love you. And that's what God says to us. We might think, oh, but I've walked out of God's love. You know, I've messed up, I've done this. I don't, I'm not the same as them. They're so much more confident. They're so much more godly than I am. And we we write ourselves off and the enemy just gets in on the back of it and says, you don't fit, you're not part of it. You're adopted. It's not as important. But God's saying no. I love, God says to us, I love you when you're good. I love you when you mess up. I love you all the time. I will always love you. It's the same thing. We must learn to trust that it's about, not about us. It's not about what we've done. We don't have to question like that like that prodigal son. Will I be accepted by God? I'll go back and say I'll be treated as a slave. I'm not sure God's going to accept me. He doubted God's love. He he doubted the Father's love because he was looking at himself. I've done this. I've done this. He didn't need to doubt God's love because what he needed to do was look at his Father's character. And his Father was accepting and loving. And we don't need to doubt because we just need to look at our Father's character. Galatians 4 verse 6 says, we know we're adopted into his family because God has sent his Spirit into our hearts which cries out, Abba, Father. Father. It's this spirit that God's gives us, which gives us the assurance that we're his. And even the fact that we cry out in worship to God tells us that we're part of his family. We wouldn't be able to worship God if we weren't. Because God's put this spirit in us which, which worships him, which says we love him. If someone comes and says, um, you know, I really don't know if God loves me, ask them if they love God. Often they go, oh yes, yes, I really love God, but I don't know if he loves me. And you can say to them, well, the fact that you love God shows that God loves you. Because you are a sinner. You were running, hurtling, headlong away from God until he rescued you. You would not love God unless he loved you. You just wouldn't. So if you've you've got doubts about whether God loves you, but you can say, Abba, Father, I love you, I worship you, then that is the proof beyond all doubt, that God loves you. And you are accepted. And when we come to believe, God brings us wonderfully into his family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And God wants us to treat each other like brothers and sisters. So there's no need for anyone to feel, I'm left out. I don't fit. There's expectation that I will be like this or be like that. We should never be ashamed to call each other brother and sister. Jesus was the only one originally who had the right to call God Abba. That intimate relationship, father, dad. He's the only one who had that right before we received it from us. And Hebrews uh, chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 11 and 12. Says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. In other words, Jesus and us, we're in the same family. So Jesus isn't ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers because we're part of the same family. He was the only one who had that right to call God Abba, Father. But now... We've been brought in, and we can call him Abba too. And Jesus says, I am not. I don't look at you and think, oh, what a rubbish brother and sister. He looks at us and says, I'm not ashamed to call you brothers. And we shouldn't be ashamed to welcome and embrace each other and be brothers and sisters in, each other, in our family. How can we in any way feel superior to anyone else in Christ? But nor should we feel inferior, because we're all saved by grace. And it's not our doing. We've been given this amazing privilege to be able to do this. And we've been brought into a family whose ties are far greater than any other, including our birth family. You know, people often say, well, blood's thicker than water. Blood's more important. But the truth is, we are blood family. We are blood family because we have been redeemed and forgiven and brought into the family by blood by the blood of Jesus. It's all about him. That's who he's making us. Let's live it out. Let's be brother and sister to each other. Let's love each other in a way that we've not loved each other maybe uh, before. Let's be challenged and provoked on this. That God's made us brothers and sisters. Let's celebrate with each other. Let's mourn with each other. Let's share things with each other. Let's celebrate God together. Let's worship him together. Let's celebrate Christmas together. Let's do all of these things. Because God has brought us into this amazing family. Let's pray.